just want to let you know where we are um, as far as the church and, and actually the, the Christian calendar. Uh, this last Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. It's the beginning of Lenten season. Uh, a lot of times you have different experiences of that. Uh, Lent is the day of preparation moving into Easter. Historically, it's been the time of self-reflection, of reminding ourselves of our need for a Savior, of the fact that we don't, we don't live up to the standard that we need to, that we fall short, uh, that we make mistakes, that we, that we hurt others, that we are uh, manipulative in our relationships. And so Lent is supposed to be a time to, to do some self-examination and then uh, practice some things that, that draw us closer to God, to get us back to where we're supposed to be. Uh, a lot of times people will do that by giving something up. Other times they'll do that by taking something on. Here's, here's my hint for you. Giving up chocolate for Lent is not a spiritual exercise. That's a diet, okay? That, that, you probably do need to give up chocolate, but don't play the game that that's some religious thing, okay? Whatever it is you do, do it as a way to draw closer to God. I usually encourage people to take something on rather than to leave something out. Now, if you're spending 30 hours a week uh, watching soap operas, then maybe giving those up, that's the first step. Give it up, but then do something with that time that makes a difference. Go volunteer at a, at a food bank. Go volunteer, but whatever. Use this next 40 days as a way to draw ourselves closer to God. Um, this is the first Sunday of, of Lent, and uh, when you go out uh, later on, you already probably had some. We have pretzels uh, for, for our snacks uh, the significance of that uh, is in your bulletin. You can read that on the back of the bulletin. tells you sort of the, the thought behind that. And then as you're leaving, uh, there are some devotionals available for you. Um, if you would like a devotional to have to do over this period, uh, uh, you can pick one up as you're leaving uh, this morning. We have been in a series where we have been reminding ourselves of the culture of this church, and that's going to continue on through Easter and, and even after Easter. And the reason we're spending so much time on this is because the church has screwed it up so bad. And I'm not just talking about us. I'm talking about the church in general. We, we, we make plenty of mistakes as well. But the church in general has, has missed the mark for so many years about what being the body of Christ means. That we, we have to do like remedial work to get ourselves back to where we're supposed to be. And so that's, that's why we're spending so much time on it. And, and we want to make sure that that you understand the culture of this, this place. Where the, the, our primary identification is not United Methodist. It's not Bee Creek. It's not Spicewood. It's not... Our number one identification is we are the body of Christ. We are joining him in the ministry of reconciliation and love for the world. That's our primary identification. The denominations, all the other stuff that we add in, that's just junk. We... We are the body of Christ. And, and so we want to make sure that that's who we're, we're being, and, that's, and we're not just talking about it, we're actually doing it. And last year, we, we came up with uh, ways of saying that, and, and so we've been talking about a part of that. We've been talking about that we want to minister to anyone and everyone. And we'll be wrapping that up in, uh, in the next couple of weeks, but that as we do ministry for the world, that Jesus Christ didn't come for a select few. He didn't come for people who 
met a certain standard. He came for everyone. And as we are the body of Christ, ministering in his name, being his hands and feet, then if he came for anyone and everyone, then we need to serve anyone and everyone as the body of Christ. We're going to follow that up, and it works perfect for Lent. We're going to follow that up with the other part of our statement, that we want to do anything and everything to minister to anyone and everyone. And what better, what better example of that than Jesus Christ, who even though people disappointed him, even though they, they fell short, when it came time to demonstrate his love and when it came time to, to decide how to move forward, he was willing to do literally anything and everything to demonstrate that, even death on a cross. The Son of God going to put himself on, on a cross, he was willing to do anything and everything. And so if we're going to be his body, if we're going to be his hands and feet, then we ought to be willing to do anything and everything as we reach out. Just an aside, for those of you that are members, if you're anything and everything means you volunteer once to do a greeter or something, if you can't do that without complaining, please don't do it. Okay? If you, can't, if you can't serve with, with gladness, don't do it. If you can't put money in the plate without being happy about it, don't do it. That's not doing anything and everything. That's being a butt. <laughs> and you can do that at the Lions Club. Go complain to your, your, you know, do that at your country club. But the culture we're trying to create here is about selfless service. Taking you out of the equation putting others ahead of yourselves. And it's pretty much through, scattered throughout the, the Scriptures. I mean, if you want, come talk to me. I can show you plenty of places in the Scriptures where it says it's not about you. It's about, it's about us. What we're trying to do here is to create a culture where people from all over will come and feel at home. And that doesn't happen by magic fairies. That happens by people who join, who have that common experience, and who want to be a part of it. And so that's what we're trying to do. Let's talk, what we're going to talk about this morning is we're thinking about anyone and everyone is the concept of shame. And shame comes from, from doing something you're, that you feel bad about, doing something you, you didn't want anybody to know about. A lot of us uh, grew up with the understanding that shame was actually the thing that the church was supposed to provide for us. That shame and guilt were the two best gifts that we could receive at church. Uh, I, that was a message I got from church a lot of times. Literally, I got that message from church. I, I was telling the earlier service that when I was 12 years old, the, the church I went to, all the teenagers sat right here. Well, I don't know why they let us do that, but we all sat right there. And they had this big uh, ornate choir loft and all the brass decorations and everything behind it. And so one Sunday, me and my friend, both we had the big pins and we took them apart and we were spitting spitwads, seeing how many we could get to stick to the brass candelabra right there. Thinking no one was going to notice that. <laughs> but, and, and so in the middle of the service, as the preacher's walking back and forth, he got one in the... And so, literally, in the service, my message from the preacher was, shame on you. <laughs> literally. Then I got home, and shame on me, and then belt on me, and everything else. But 
But that for so many of us, that's, that's what we picture God to be. This, this judge up in the sky who just can't wait to point his finger at us and say, shame on you. That's what the world thinks God is about. That's what the world thinks the church is about because that's what we've made it about. That's why they don't want to have anything to do with us because their picture of us is these judgmental people who point our fingers and say, shame on you. Shame on this group over here. Shame on that group over here. Come sign my petition against these groups. Don't ever let them in your church. Don't, we don't accept them. Don't let them in your neighborhoods. Don't elect them. If they believe in this, they're bad. Shame on you. That's not really the message I get. First of all, that's not good news. And, and the Bible's supposed to be good news. That's, that's why a lot of times people just can't understand why we talk about Christianity being good news because they're like, good news? Why is it good news that you're an egotistical bigot? Why is, that, why is that good news that I'm destined to hell for the rest of my life because of the mistakes I've made? I just want to share with you, shame is not a biblical concept. Well, it's, it's in the Scripture, but it's not something we're supposed to have. Okay, It's something that, that we overcome through Jesus Christ. Shame, is, shame and guilt are tools of the deceiver, of Satan, of the devil, however you want to say it, of the evil forces, however you want to say it. Shame and guilt are the tools used to keep us from being who we're supposed to be. If, if that picture of the puppy that I was talking about with the little kids, if any of you have dogs, know that when you... There are a lot of us in this room this morning that have spent our lives in that position. Because we've had people point their fingers at us. Maybe parents, maybe teachers, maybe Sunday school. We've, we've had them point their fingers at, and we have accepted that shame and that guilt that we're not worthy, and so we can't even look up. We can't even meet people's gaze because we're so disgusted with who we are and what we've done. Well, is the church supposed to be a place where people like that can come? And the easy answer is because you're in church. You know, it's like if I ask anything to the kids, the easy answer is Jesus. You know, the, the easy answer when I say can we have people like that in church? The easy answer is yes. And there's not a church around that wouldn't say, oh, yes. But let me just push on that a little bit. Does that mean the, the person who is caught in a relationship outside of marriage, does that mean we want them coming here? Does that mean someone with drinking or, or drug abuse problems, maybe even still caught in the midst of those, do we want them here? People with law problems, legal problems, moral problems, do we want them here? You see, we, we, a lot of times we talk the talk, but when it comes down to it, we don't want those people. When it comes down to it, we get upset when those people come around. And we put it, we couch it in ways of, oh, we're protecting our children, we're protecting them. We're... 
know, basically, it is, we're bigots. And we don't like those people around. We don't like to have them around. Is the church supposed to be a place where we really accept anyone and everyone? And here's a haunting question, because what, what you've been trained in is that the church is supposed to be the standard, and we're supposed to set righteousness, and we're supposed to, we're supposed to be the voice to tell everybody else what they're doing wrong. Is that really the job of the church? Well, instead of giving my opinion, let's take a, let's take a look at the Scripture. We're going to look at uh, the Gospel of John. John chapter 8. This is, a, this is a situation out of Jesus' life. We're going to use it to, to talk about who we can be in, in the world. Okay? I'm going to sort of pause as I go through this, so hang with me if you're with me. Uh, if you've got your Bibles open, it's John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Jesus returned from the Mount of Olives, and early the next morning, he was back at the temple. He was, that's where they had church. That's, that, there was a big gathering place. He shows up there, and he's going to do some teaching. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down, and he taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. So pause just a moment just to paint the picture for you. Okay, they're, they're in church, okay? And there's people that gathered there to hear what Jesus says, but the church leaders aren't bothered. They didn't have time to listen to the, the message, they're out drumming up a, a sinner for them. We're going to find out. They have a plan to try to entrap Jesus here. So, verse 4. Teacher, they say to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. Okay, we'll pause there. Okay. Number one. The act of, I don't, I'm not going to get graphic in case there's kids in here, but the act of adultery takes at least two, right? Uh, uh, where's the other one? Notice that that's just one inconsistent. I mean, you ever thought about that? Where's the other one? It's probably because he was a Pharisee. <laughs> they let him off. He, oh, I'm serious. I mean, how did they know? Where do you commit adultery? It's not out in the street. It's in some hidden bedroom. How did they know where to go? What were they doing? They, were, they weren't doing anything of worth other than peeking some window or something. How else did they know? How do you catch somebody like that unless you're peeking in windows? So obviously they were busy doing things they didn't need to be doing, right? And they pull the poor woman out in front. Where's the guy? We don't know. Like I said, it's probably one of their buddies, which is how they knew where to catch him. They pull her out, they put, and they say, okay, you say you're a teacher of God? All right, it says in the Bible, it says in our word, it says in the law of Moses that if you're caught in sin, if you're caught in adultery, you're supposed to get stoned. What are you going to do about that? Okay. And this was a pretty clever trap because if Jesus would have said, okay, stoner, then he would have been arrested under Roman law because the Jews didn't have the right to put anybody to death. And if he says, don't stoner, then all the Jews discredit him because he doesn't believe in the scripture. So it's a pretty clever trap, right? 
What are you going to do? It says in the Bible. How many times have you heard that? It says in the Bible. It says in the Bible. Those people are bad. It says so in the Bible. It says. I can show you the verse. It says. Well, let me tell you something else it says in the Bible. It says that every single one of us has fallen short. That every single one of us has not hit the standard that we were supposed to hit. That every single one of us deserves death. It's in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament, so that one doesn't work if you had one of those arguments ready for me. It's in the old law, it's in the new law. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The glorious standard that God has for us, the the measuring stick is to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Anything under that? Failure. And the wages of sin is death. Okay. So it says in the Bible, and that's what they, they got this situation. Here it is. There's crowd. I mean, can you imagine? Church people love a confrontation like that, man. They're they're gathered. Ooh, what's the preacher going to do now? Well, let's look what Jesus does. They're trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. He stood up again and said, All right, let the first one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, well, neither do I. Go and sin no more. So they're in the midst of this. There's high tension that Jesus is trapped. Jesus is clever. This is why I, we, you get pictures of it through the scripture. This is why I love reading the gospels. If you have some picture of Jesus of just being some, you know, monk walking around, he was clever. He was cunning. He was, he was abrasive to some. He, he is awesome. And he's caught in this no-win situation. And it says, they kept saying, well, so what are you going to do? What are you going to do? It says, so in the Bible. It says, so in the Bible. So he just kneels down and starts drawing. In. And we, there's lots of speculation on this. I mean, there's lots of stories. And I, I don't know which is them true because it's all speculation. But maybe Jesus was writing a verse. Maybe he... He was writing down sins that he knew that some of those people had done. I'm serious. I mean, if he's God, he knows all things, right? He knows the hearts of men. We don't know what he wrote. But as he, he's, and then they keep saying, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And he gets up and he says, well, the one of you that doesn't have sin... Go ahead and cast the first stone. And then he bends down again, maybe again, to write out some of the sins that they had committed. And what happened? They leave. They leave. And this is interesting. He says, from the oldest to the youngest. 
There's two ways you look at that. Either the oldest was the wisest, and so they were the first to catch on. That's the one we prefer. Or maybe the oldest had done the most things wrong (laughs) that he had written about in the sand, and so they wanted to get out of there first. Maybe because the youngest ones are the ones that are so hell-bent on, oh, I'm right, I'm right, I can never... And they finally, after everyone else was gone, they finally gave in and, and left. But he says, if any of you don't have sin, then go ahead and cast the first stone. If any of you, if any of you can say, you deserve to point the finger, then go ahead. This is brilliant. And it's also, it's also who... If, if there's a picture of what the church is supposed to be in, in the world, this is it. Instead of being a group of people that tells, what, tells you what to boycott, instead of being a group of people that's always asking you to sign this petition or that petition, if you, always, if you love Jesus, you'll do this, and if sending those stupid, dumb emails to each other about, about how the world's going to fall apart and all that kind of stuff, if we would spend our time doing this rather than that, Maybe the world would pay attention to who Jesus is. Maybe they'd listen to what we'd have to say. But the picture they have of us is this. Just like these Pharisees bringing this poor woman out to make a fool out of her in front of other people, that's what, the, that's what we do to people all the time. Did you see that? Shame on them. Shame on them. Shame on them. And here's the question for you. Do you have... Anything that you've done wrong in your life? Here's the question. What Jesus says, basically he says, okay, fine. You want to kill her? Go ahead. You're right. It says in the Bible, kill her. So, the one of you that, that doesn't have anything against them, go ahead and judge. Go ahead. And that's the question for us. The one of us in here that doesn't have anything that God could hold against us and go ahead and point the finger. Otherwise, shut up and get out of the way. If the church would learn, instead of pointing a finger, to extend a hand. Can you imagine the difference we'd make in the world? Can you imagine what people would think if the church as a whole went from this to this? That's the whole message. That's what, Jesus, that's what Jesus came for. See, the concept is none of us deserve anything but death. Every one of us has sinned. Every one of us deserves death. The only reason we don't have death is because Jesus intervened and died for our sins. And because of what he did, because of my belief in him, because of him, instead of pointing a finger in me in condemnation, extending a hand to me in grace, because of that act, I now can walk in fellowship with him and the Father in heaven. Without guilt, without shame, with forgiveness and grace. Not because I deserved it, but because Jesus offered it to me. And I'm not special I'm no different than anyone else. And Jesus makes that same offer to each and every person in the world. You're all very familiar with John 3.16. You remember that verse? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Do you know what comes right after that? Verse 17. For I did not come to condemn 
this world. I did not come to point the finger at you and send you to hell, which is what the world thinks. I did not come to condemn, but to save. I didn't come to point a finger. I came to extend a hand. Man, we screwed up in the church, haven't we? We thought we got to point our fingers at everybody else and tell them how bad they were. And Jesus won't even let us have that fun. Yeah, you're, if, you, if you have nothing... If you have nothing against you, go ahead, point the finger. But guess what? We all know. We have no right to point a finger. Well, here's the big catch. This is where people, and we can go there for a while, but, but there's this thing lurking within the back of our minds that says, yeah, but isn't it our job to save people? Isn't it our job to, to like correct them? Isn't it our job to tell them that they're going to hell? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's just some, and especially if you've been in church for very long, somehow they just, they like attach some probe in your brain or something that, that makes you go there. Number one, we don't save anyone. The Holy Spirit does. God does. We're just the hands and feet. We're, it's not our job to save. We just share the good news. But there's this sense within us that if we don't like put down the post and strike the banner, that that we're not doing our jobs. Like we're letting them get away with it. Right? Well, let's see. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? She says, they're gone. They're not here. He says, aren't they going to condemn you? And she says, no. And he says, well, neither do I. I don't condemn you. But you know you did something wrong. Don't make the same mistake again. Go and sin no more. Okay, it's not that Jesus sold out on the Father. It's not that he changed the law. It's not that he didn't care about her sin. But if you're going to save someone, this is a better way to do it than that. If you see someone drowning in the pool, what does this do? Hey, he's drowning. And that's what the church has been. Oh, look, the world's going to hell. Oh, look, they're all drowning. Ooh, when what we're supposed to be doing is this. We're supposed to extend a hand, not a finger. Jesus said, just go and sin no more. See, part of the thing within us is if we don't strike the banner, then we're, we're affirming them in their sin. That's not the case at all. It, we're not saying, hey, adulterers, come on to our church. We're going to celebrate your adultery and we'll have an adultery Bible study and we'll do an adultery. No, that's not the point. We're not celebrating their sin, but we're saying, you know what? You've got yours. We've got ours. We're all sinners together. And so instead of pointing our fingers at each other, let's join our hands and then tell the other sinners around the world that there's a place where we can get over our shame. Can you imagine this woman, what she was feeling? I mean, drug. She's, oh, 
a spectacle in front of all these people and the whispers going on. You have a mental picture of, and she's surrounded by this angry mob. Do you think she's standing there proudly? Or she's like that whip puppy dog that's ears down, tail between the legs, not wanting to look up. And then can you see the conversation with Jesus? Once everyone slipped away, you know, the crowds are starting to dissipate. There's nothing to see here, folks. And they start making their way. Can you see that she's still? And Jesus goes over in the way I see it in my mind. Sort of picks up her chin and says, it's okay. Where were the people that were going to kill you? Where are they? They're gone. Go ahead, look at me. They're gone. And I love you. That, folks, is good news. Because I know there's people in this room. I know there's a person on this stage who knows what it feels like to have shame. Who knows what it feels like to be embarrassed to look people in the eye. But there's a Savior who thinks that we're good enough that he was willing to go to the cross to die for us so that we could look him in the eye and know that we're okay. That's what we're going to celebrate with communion in just a moment. Uh, Parents, if you uh, want to get your kids, this would be the time that you can slip out. We're going to sing a hymn. We're going to sing a Turn Your Eyes Upon in Jesus. And as you're doing that, I I want you to have that vision in, in your mind of, of Jesus lifting the woman's chin, their eyes meeting, and the grace and the forgiveness that was transferred right there. So let's, let's sing together. You can, you can remain seated.